Jess said, well, I think I'm going to introduce you. And I said, you don't need to introduce me. This is family. And she said, well, there's some new people here that they don't know who you are. And, I, and to that, I would say, hey, welcome. We're glad you joined us this Sunday. We're so glad you're here. And in fact, I would like to invite you to come back because our pastor will be back and you can hear him preach. But I'm excited to be able to serve this morning. Um, I'm just so thankful for Pastor Mike and Rhonda. I've known them for over half my life. I'm really very appreciative of their hearts and their determination to see the gifts of God uh, evident in each one of us, to, to draw on those gifts and to see our purposes fulfilled. It's not just a select few. They're intentional and purposeful and determined um, for each and every one of us. And... Um, I'm just really grateful for that. But you know what else? I'm really grateful for church family because when I walked in this morning, I, I just thank you, family, for being family. I don't know how many people said, we prayed for you this morning. We know you're preaching. We prayed for you this morning, and we're excited. And, and you just come in, and you feel, like, celebrated, and you feel like your family's with you. They got your back, and there's something to that. The world doesn't offer that, church. The world doesn't offer that. And you know what? If you came in and your family today, I want you to know they didn't just pray for me. They prayed for you too. They prayed that you would hear the word of God and that you would be transformed, that you wouldn't just spend time here and be like, well, that didn't do anything for me, but that God would meet you in this place. Amen. So I'm grateful for church family. I believe God has a good and a challenging word for us this morning. I'm excited to be able to share it. But as we prepare to open the word, I'm going to just invite you to stand with me again. I want you to get that blood flowing. And I'd like you to declare with me some statements here. I want you to, to declare it like you mean it. All right? Say, God is good. All right, good. I'm with the right crowd. Say, he is Lord of the good. He is faithful. He is trustworthy. I am blessed to love him. Say, I am blessed to serve him. And I am blessed to know him as my father. Let's stay standing. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for what your Holy Spirit has already done, what you've already woven into this service with your truth. Lord, I pray that as we declare your word this morning, that you would continue to open our hearts, open our minds to what you have to say. Let it fall on good soil, Lord. Let, let what you have for us take seed and cause good fruit, not just for our generation, but God, for the generations to come. Lord, I just pray for your anointing. Help me to declare the word appropriately and accurately. And Lord, to you goes all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. If you agree, say amen, and you can be seated. <laughs> all right, so bottom line up front, this is what we're about. We want to see Jesus in you magnified so that others can see Jesus in you and be drawn to him. If you wonder, well, where is she going with this message? Because sometimes I take bunny trails. That's where we're going to land. We want to see Jesus in you magnified so that others can see Jesus in you and be drawn to him. Our text this morning is John chapter 7 through 8. And although I'm not going to read all of John chapter 7, I just want to summarize it for you. What's going on in John chapter 7 is the Feast of the Tabernacles. That happens in the fall around September or October. And everybody's gathering in Judea. There's, the, the town is filled with individuals, and this is what they're about. They're trying to figure out, they're there for the feast, but they're trying to figure out who Jesus is, 
and what he's really about. Who is he and what is he about? The Jews were out to kill him because he had the audacity to heal a crippled man on the Sabbath and broke the law. They still were holding that against him. They, they totally missed the mark that Jesus performed a miracle and made somebody whole. They're mad at him because he broke the law of Moses and had the audacity to do it on the Sabbath. His brothers, they didn't believe him. They're taunting him. They're saying, Jesus, why are you hanging out here? Why don't you go down into Judea, Judea and do some miracles and show people who you are? Why don't you give them evidence to who you are? Because they still didn't know or believe him as Lord and Savior. And then among the people, there's a divided crowd. There's some that believe in him. There's some that think he's good. They're amazed by his teaching. And there's others that they, they think he's demon-possessed. They're calling him a deceiver. And Jesus' critics, they criticized him and they analyzed him on every facet. They critiqued his ministry. They questioned his paternity. They questioned his calling. His integrity was under scrutiny. His spiritual purity was all being analyzed. They question, what value does this Jesus really bring? Is he the real deal or is he fake? There were those who critiqued and e attacked every aspect of his being and what it caused among the crowd was a lot of debate and it caused a lot of division. The enemy loves division. Yeah. The same is true today. The enemy is out to do three things. He's out to steal kill, and destroy. And one of his main strategies, one of his all-time favorite strategies, is to come at you by attacking your identity. Now, it could look different for each of us. It could be an attack on your identity through people's opinions and their reaction to you. It kind of sits in your heart, sits in your head. Why don't they like me? What's going on? Why did they say this about me? It could, it could be through your own pride, you think you're all that in a bag of chips. Really what you need to do is probably just get humble before the Lord because you're going to miss out on him because you're so full of yourself. It could come that way. That's an attack on your identity. It could come through your insecurities. You don't think you're that. It could come that way. It can come through offenses. And I want to talk to you a little bit about offenses this morning. I think it's always good to know because even the most mature believer knows that they have to guard their heart against offense. I'd like to think that it's a one and done kind of battle. Wouldn't you love that? Okay, I overcame that mountain. I'm moving on and I'm never going to be offended again. It's not a one and done church. He sneaks in with little seeds of offense, little things to trip your trigger. And you don't know that you had an assumption. You don't know you had an expectation until it just wasn't met. And now you're a little, <clears throat> the enemy does that to attack your identity. He does it through deception. He does it through doubt. I believe right now even the Holy Spirit's going, well, yeah, and he can do it this way and he can do it that way. He has a myriad of tricks to do it to take out your identity. They're the same old tricks, same old dog. It's just a new day. I want you to be aware of it. He did it through Eve, and we can see all through Scripture where he attacked identity, and he did it with Jesus too. So don't think you're above this, okay? He's out to do it. Why? 
Why is he out to attack your identity? Why is he out to steal, kill, and destroy it? Why? I'm going to let you in on a secret. Because you have exactly what he has always wanted. You have exactly what he has always wanted. You are created in the image of God. You bear the likeness of God. That is good news, church. When you walk in what you were created in, you as a believer are loved by God. You as a believer can walk out his promises and you have access to his power directly from heaven to you and through you. You have access to his blessings and his favor on your life. You have access to his deliverance. The enemy absolutely hates that. And he wants to take you out. And he's constantly scattering seed and working strategies to try to destroy you. How uplifting is this message so far? We have to be aware. We have to be aware of his strategies because sometimes we allow just a little bit of compromise to set in. And that little bit of compromise shifts us just a little bit off course. And it's a slippery slope. And eventually, we're totally out and isolated. Or we just allow just a little casual chatter. Well, I don't think. And next thing you know, you're in that full offense that you knew better. Right? So we have to be vigilant. We have to be vigilant for our own personal hearts, our own personal lives, our individual hearts, but also for one another. That we look out for each other as our church family. That we stay on guard, holding each other accountable, strengthening each other, building each other up, covering one another in prayer. Thank you, church. Covering one another in prayer and scriptural truths. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. Awesome job, sound people. I love you. Thank you so much. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9 says, keep a cool head. Stay alert. The devil is poised to pounce, and he would like nothing better than to catch you napping. Keep up your guard. You're not the only ones plunged into these hard times. It's the same with Christians all around the world. So keep a firm grip on the faith. Why do I spend so much time right now telling you about this? Well, one, it's going to set us up for John chapter 8. But number two, church, we are in such a great season right now. I remember when Pastor Mike and Rhonda had it on their heart to start Church for the Harvest. And they said, you know, we're, we're gonna, there's something in Alexandria. We're ready to start. And when they declared that and they were going to, to transition from being youth pastors to starting a new a, a new thing for God here in Alexandria, there was a rumbling that started happening in my spirit. And I was like, I do not want to miss that. There's this rumbling, like God is going to do something there, and I want to be part of that. I don't want to miss out on that. And so our family went to our pastors at the time, Pastor Steve and Trish at Country Bible Church. That's what it was called back in the day. And we sought out the blessing we said, you know what, we just feel called to go and be part of what Pastor Mike and Rhonda are doing, and we, we'd like to be released, and we left that church with the blessing, one of the wisest things we ever did. You want to know why? Because when we go back to visit that church, it feels like going to grandma's. It feels like family. You walk in, you're embraced, you're loved on, you love those people, they're family, they're your brothers and sisters, it's not home. This is home, but that's family. 
So there was something rich there. And they said, no, we give you the blessing. And you went. And that rumbling has never ceased throughout the decades. It's like, I've seen good times. I've seen hard times. But there's always like, no, God is doing something here. God is doing something here. And right now, as we are set to transition into a new building, that rumbling is getting greater. And it's getting greater. And it's getting greater. And I want to declare to you that the things that we've seen in the past, the miracles that we've known in the past, the presence of God, that we've experienced in the past pales in comparison to what lies ahead, church. It pales in comparison. God has great things. This rumbling, we sense it, and I'll tell you the gates of hell sense it, and the enemy wants nothing more than to take you out. So stay on guard. Stay on guard, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You are not subject to that, but keep in check what you're called to do, and what God has before you. It, what we've seen and known in the past pales in comparison to what he has for us in the days ahead. Let's kick it down. I am so excited for that. So here we go. We're going into John chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. We know full well Jesus' identity was under attack. Uh, I'm sorry, John chapter 8, verses 1 through 12, not 1 and 2. I'm going to read a little bit from the Passion as soon as I get on the right verse. Okay, here we go. It says, Jesus walked up the Mount of Olives near the city where he spent the night. Then at dawn, Jesus appeared in the temple courts again, and soon all the people gathered around to listen to his words. So he sat down and taught them. Then in the middle of his teaching, the religious scholars and the Pharisees broke through the crowd and brought a woman who had been caught in the act of committing adultery, and made her stand in the middle of everyone. Then they said to Jesus, Teacher, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Doesn't Moses' law command us to stone to death a woman like this? Tell us, what do you say we should do with her? They were only testing Jesus because they hoped to trap him with his own words and accuse him of breaking the laws of Moses. But Jesus didn't answer them. Instead, he simply bent down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Another translation says, as though he did not hear, he turned a deaf ear. Instead, he simply bent down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Angry, they kept insisting that he answer their question. So Jesus stood up and looked at them and said, let's have the man who has never had a sinful desire throw the first stone at her. And then he bent over again and wrote some more words in the dust. Upon hearing that, her accusers slowly left the crowd one at a time, beginning with the oldest to the youngest, with a convicted conscience, until finally Jesus was left alone and the woman still standing there in front of him. So he stood back up and said to her, Dear woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? Looking around, she replied, I see no one, Lord. Jesus said, then I certainly don't condemn you either. Go and from now on, be free from a life of sin. Then Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And those who embrace me will experience life-giving light. They will never walk in darkness. So here we have this story. We're going to walk through this account. The religious leaders, they were attacking his identity. Their whole motive 
was to ensnare him and to trap Jesus, causing him to respond in a way that would validate their accusations, causing him to respond in a way, in a way that would justify death. They come and they bring this woman and they're exposing her sin to him. They come to him and they give him an either or scenario. And neither is desirable. Jesus, you can either do this or you can do this. And neither is desirable. They go so far. You know, yesterday they were saying he's demon possessed. He's deceived. He should die. He did something on the Sabbath. He broke the law. And then in this story, they go, teacher, teacher. And they lay aside their accusations. I wonder at times, just like looking at my own self, and you can look at your heart, how would our flesh respond in that moment? When someone who is ridiculing you, attacking you, and then all of a sudden they come with like this lofty title, teacher, would you feel compelled to respond would you feel like you have to derive an answer simply because the demand is present? Would you finally feel accepted? Now they want to hear what I have to say, and so I'm going to pass this judgment. Or would you be indifferent and disgusted? I know what you're up to. You deal with her. That's none of my business. How, I don't know. How would you respond? Just an interesting little checkpoint in your heart. The Pharisees thought they had the Lord cornered in a this or that scenario. He could either uphold the law, right, the law of Moses, and agree that she's guilty, she deserves death by stoning, but while he would do that, he would be denying his merciful and compassionate side. You see, God is just, but he's also a God of compassion. Well, he could uphold the law, or he could extend the mercy and the compassion, and then be accused of defying the law being an enemy of the law given to Moses by God and being ignorant of his value. That's Jesus's either-or scenario. The poor woman, she had none. She didn't have an either-or scenario. Her, her uh, options were extremely limited. She was just flat-out guilty. She was no doubt terrified. She was faced with public shame and pending death. But I want to tell you something, church. Jesus does not operate in those capacities. Jesus is not bound by condemnation, doubt, fear, or shame. That's not of him. He delivers us from those things. He is not limited by the options presented by man. He is not limited by the options presented by the enemy. Amen? He is greater than. Amen? So what do you do? How many of you have ever been presented with option A? or option B, and neither looks good. Neither one is desirable. I've been there. Have you been there? Can I have a show? Yeah, okay. So, you, so I'm preaching to some people that will understand, like, I could do this, or I could do that, and I don't like either one of them. All right? I've observed sometimes when we get stuck in those situations, we get a sense that we have to do something. We've just got to do something. And so we have to make a decision. We have to respond. And sometimes we respond with this knee-jerk reaction or off the cuff or just to, for the sake of doing something, and it doesn't necessarily end up well. Incidentally, I just have to hit on a nerve here. Knee-jerk reactions tend to get people into a lot of trouble on social media. I'm just saying, 
You feel compelled to react to something. You say something you'd never say to someone in their face. And, and the outcome, you don't think about the outcome. Social media can be such a great tool. It really can be. It literally gives everybody a platform. But sometimes when you're moving at the speed of life, and life moves really fast, it's not necessarily in the best interest of the kingdom to drop your personal truth or your opinion or your expertise without considering the outcome, without considering how it's affecting people, if it's hurtful or if it's degrading, how is it affecting people? Church, we are called to edify and to build one another up. We are called to be a city on a hill. We are called to shine, and we are called to represent Jesus. I just want to challenge you to think on that next time you take that knee-jerk reaction. You see, I believe there is a cantankerous spirit that's roaming through the earth right now that is gorging and feasting on conflict and disagreement. Do you know why? Because if you can cause conflict and disagreement and you can cause division, then you can cause isolation and you can take even the strongest man out. If the strongest man is isolated, you can take even the strongest one out. That's what that spirit is about, and we have to come against it. If you don't believe me that people will argue just for the sake of arguing, and you don't agree with me, yeah, I just proved my point. You can laugh. It's funny. Sometimes we, sometimes we just are compelled to do something when faced with those situations. Sometimes we pray and, and uh, we seek God. That's good. That's really good. But how many of you have ever been um, inclined to counsel God in your seeking? <laughs> okay, I have. Yeah, absolutely. God, if you could just deal with that person and their heart and get them straightened out, and then I'll do this and then we'll do this. Or if you could just drop a million and, you know, my, here's my checking account number. Could you, God, if you could just do this. How many... Have you, when you're praying and seeking God, you're seeking him, but you kind of already have your agenda in place. I want to challenge you with something. When you're giving God your agenda, your vision may be altered. I'm just throwing it out there. You're giving him all your criteria, and your vision may be altered. I want to talk to you about fight or flight response. Do you know what happens when fight or flight response happens? Your adrenal glands release adrenaline. Your blood pressure goes up, your heart rate goes up, your respirations go up. You are engaged. Your pupils dilate so that you can see what's coming at you. But here's the deal. If you stay in that, if you stay in that stressful situation for a long time, and military men and women, uh, law enforcement men and women, they learn this. Your senses start to shift. Your hearing starts to kind of decline. And that peripheral vision that you had, it starts to narrow, and it turns into what's called tunnel vision. If you stay in that, yep, there's a guy that knows. It stays because what happens is that you see that impending danger coming at you, that impending threat, and your focus zeroes in on that threat. And that's what happens. So guess what? You're blind to the whole story. Something could be happening here or something could be happening here, a threat that you don't even know about. You're blind to the whole story. So here you're in a situation where you're caught between A and B and you're seeking God and you've got your, uh, your tunnel vision and you're counseling God on how he could help you handle it. <laughs> Doesn't sound like a good scenario, does it? It reminds me a little bit of the Israelites. 
caught between Pharaoh and the Red Sea. Do you remember that? Hundreds of thousands of Israelites. Guess what they saw before them? They saw Pharaoh before them. They saw the Red Sea behind them. They cried out to Moses. They cried out to God. Were there not enough graves in Egypt? We could have died in Egypt. I want to, I want to ask, do you think, out of hundreds of thousands of Israelites, that one of them had the thought or the capacity to say, Lord, here's the deal. If you just split the sea, they didn't even have, they would not have that capacity. It wouldn't even hit their radar to pray and ask the Lord for that. I just think when we're stuck between A and B and we're thinking, God, if you would just do this and you would just do that, I want to just challenge you, God, to say, you know what? The thing that I could do for you, you don't even have the capacity to think of it yet. Because here's what Isaiah chapter 55, 8 through 9 says. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Someone say, praise God. Praise God. His ways are higher, his thoughts are higher, and he can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can ask or think. I do not want to limit him to my agenda. Amen? Amen. God sees it differently, and he sees it with accuracy. He doesn't have tunnel vision. It says in the word of God that he sets a table for us before our enemies. You feel pressed on every side, and God says, oh, them? No, come on in. Take a load off. I got a feast for you. Sit in my presence. Relax, rest, be renewed. That's how God sees it. God says he sees light over darkness. He looks at you. He says, you are the salt of the earth, the preservative of the earth, not the destruction. He sees trust and integrity over his seat. He has eternal views, not temporal. When you're walking through things, he has eternal purposes, not temporal. He sees life over death. Death has no sting for you if you're a believer. He looks at you. He sees a river and a well rising up in you, fountains of living water for the dry and parched ground. You carry hope, not despair, faith versus doubt, courage, not fear, compassion, not judgment. You are ambassadors of Christ, not nobodies. You represent the kingdom of God, amen? You are sons and daughters of the Most High King, not slaves to sin. That's how God sees it. I'm going to align my vision with his. So amen, amen. So here's what happens. We've got the identity. We've got, we've got what, what are we doing with it? And then we've got the gift of the pause. Jesus' opponents thought they had backed him into a corner demanding an answer. Come on, Jesus, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I have to tell you a little secret. Put this one in your back pocket. Remember it this week. Not everything the enemy throws at you requires a response. It doesn't. Assuredly, not an immediate response. It can be loud. It can be demanding. It can be pressing, but not everything is urgent. It's not, not everything is worthy of your attention your energy, and your focus. I want you to save those things for the mission that God has for you. Stay on track. Keep your face focused like flint. Exercise the power of the pause. There is power in stepping back. There is power in stilling your heart before the Lord to hear his voice. 
The writer of the Psalms often uses a little term with great power. I love this term. How many of you know what I'm referring to? Any guesses? Selah. Selah. Pause and think about this. It means to measure, weigh in the balances, pause, reflect, and think. Not to be a paralytic. It doesn't say to camp out there. Take a moment. Step back. Pause. Think about this. Use it as an opportunity to proceed with wisdom so that you can bear good fruit, not just for your life, but for the generations to come. Psalm 85.2 says, you have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered their sin. Selah. That's what Jesus is about. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Isaiah 40.31, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Selah. Your ears, I love this one, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left hand. So what did Jesus do? They're demanding a response from him. Jesus does something that's totally unexpected. He gave them a response, but he gets down, and he starts writing in the sand. And there's all these different theories about what he could have wrote and, and how it could have affected them, and I don't know. I wasn't there. I'm not going to try to make up a story as to what he was writing, but there's something about his unexpected response that as people kept pressing him for answers, that allowed him an opportunity, because he was equally God and equally man, right? It allowed him an opportunity to weigh what needs to be focused on and keep first things first and keep his sight on the mission. How many of us could follow that lead? To step back and take a pause and weigh, where do I need to focus? Where's my priorities? What am I about where do I need to extend my energy and my activity? It's a rich example to keep the mission before us, to steward our gifts and commit every aspect, every detail, every action of our lives for his glory. That's what I want to be known for. I believe that's what you want to be known for. So after he spends some time writing in the sand, he gets up and he looks. And it's brilliant. It's brilliant. He says in John chapter 8, verse 7, let's have the man who has never had a sinful desire because God looks on the heart, not just the action. Let's have the man who has never had a sinful desire throw the first stone at her. He equally met the law and the compassion because you know what happened? Well, remember what happened next? Each accuser had to take account for what was going on in their heart. And one by one, poof, 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 they drop their stones and they walk away. Jesus' response confounded the enemy, confused the enemy. It brought them into check with their own sinful nature and their need for redemption. It stayed true to the mission of bringing sinners to repentance and not destroy but to save and where they were, 
going to trap him, he convinced them of their true condition and brought them to the threshold of repentance. He brought them to that threshold. So Jesus is so fun to read through the Gospels. I've just been reading through my Bible little by little, day by day. I'm not on any 40-day journey. I'm not on any read it through in a year. I just keep reading and just keep reading and keep reading. And right now, guess where I'm at? I'm in John. But as I was reading through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I saw a common thread. This common thread. And Jesus was moved with compassion. And Jesus was moved with compassion. And Jesus came across this need, and he was moved with compassion. Jesus was stirred into action every time he was moved with compassion. Time and again, compassion was the precursor to the power that Jesus shared, to the power, to, to Jesus' resurrection power. He was moved with compassion, and he performed miracles. He was moved with compassion, and he healed countless people of every kind of sickness and disease. He was moved with compassion, and he brought deliverance. He brought freedom, and he brought restoration. He didn't get frustrated and try to do something in and of his own strength. He didn't condemn people and then try to heal them. He wasn't indifferent to the world around him and then tried to deliver them. He was full with compassion. He allowed his head, his heart, his gut, his spirit to connect to the needs that were surrounding him, whether they were evident or whether they were unseen. You know what? We are surrounded with human need. There's some that come to us and it's so evident. They're ill in their body or, or they have this hurt and some of it is unseen. Some of it is issues of the heart. Well, that's not my never mind. No, no, no. It is, church. It is our never mind. Because here's what happened when Jesus allowed himself to be engaged with that. He was moved with compassion and he carried the answer for their healing and for their deliverance. And God wants to do the same thing in and through you. And I know that there's some of you in this room right now, you're hungry for that. You want to be that vessel of healing. You want to be that vessel that makes Jesus really great. And here's the thing. Compassion is a huge and mighty force in that. In fact, I think I, had, I put compassion is an amazing and compelling power that drives action. You mix compassion and you mix faith, great things happen. You cannot be indifferent. I want to ask you this morning, what moves you? What occupies your head and your heart space when you stand before the Lord? What is pushing you into action? Is it your own selfish gain? Is it, is it building the kingdom of God? Does the action that moves you, the thing that moves you, does it build God's kingdom in your life and the lives of others? Or does it serve just to build your own kingdom? Take that before the Lord. I want to be like Jesus. When I see the broken, the lame, the messed up, the hungry, the deceived, the confused, I want to be moved, compelled into action with compassion because I know I serve a mighty living God, the God of all creation. He's God of the good. He is God of the good. And his power lives in and flows through me. It's not just for me. It's to flow through me to bless others. It's to flow through you to bless others. Because when we move in compassion, there's an unexpected, out-of-the-ordinary response of what anyone is anticipating. There's a mighty power in that. How many think there's just this surplus of compassion in the world? 
Church, you want to be a city on a hill? Get a hold of this truth. It's a response that is linked with confidence in what God can and do in and through your life, knowing you carry the solution for the gen- this generation. You carry the solution for this generation. God has put it in you. We cannot be occupied and distracted by the either or that's presented to us. We need to press on to the better plan C, the supernatural, the extraordinary, with a long view of eternity. We need to consider how we respond to the voices that crowd us, to how we respond to our generation. And sometimes it requires a bit of a pause to gain heaven's perspective and to be skilled with our response. Jesus' compassion revealed the true condition of the hearts of the woman's accusers. They confronted him with an either-or scenario. Neither looked good. Jesus responded with plan C. He brought them to the threshold of repentance for the taking. Repentance is a gift from God. Changing one's mind and turning and calling him Lord, that's a gift from God. And he brought them right up to that threshold. They dropped their stones and they walked away. Whew, that's heavy. Do you know any one of them at that time could have said, Lord, forgive me. I was wrong. They dropped their stones and they walked away. But one remained, the accused. She had every opportunity to maybe sneak into the crowd, to vanish, to escape. But she remained. She didn't attempt to escape or withdraw. You see, something shifted in her. Jesus upheld the law, and he stayed true to who he is as a compassionate God. And something shifted in her because she was face-to-face with Yahweh. She found Yahweh. She was forgiven. She was redeemed. And the void in her life that she had so desperately been trying to satisfy was now filled with something that she had, no ex- she had never encountered this before. And, you know, there, I don't know the rest of her story, but I remember a story about another woman in Luke chapter 7. That when Jesus was visiting a Pharisee, she walked into the house, and because she had been forgiven of so much, she took this precious oil... She broke the alabaster flask, and she got down on her hands and knees, and with her tears and with her hair, she washed the feet of Jesus, and she adored him, and she worshiped him, and she loved him, and Jesus laid it out before the Pharisee who just didn't get it. Those who have been forgiven much love much. Those who have been forgiven much, they love much. They set aside their own agenda, and they just lay it before the Lord. Lord, here it is, my good, whatever it is, my bad and my ugly, my, my, my whole and my shattered. I just give it all to you. I lay it at your feet, and I trust you with it, Lord. And Jesus said to them, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, despair, You shall not walk in despair. You shall not walk in terror. You shall not walk in ignorance or obscurity anymore. Instead, you shall walk in the light of life. Will you stand with me today? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. God is good. 
He is Lord of the good. He is faithful and he is trustworthy. It is a blessing to love him. It is a blessing to serve him. And it is a blessing to know him as my father. Jesus' mission was to seek and save, to redeem and restore. And he has never compromised his mission. He still to this day is all about the mission. Even when under pressure to respond, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is good and he is faithful. Maybe some of you, as you listen today, you identified with being stuck between the this and the that. The either or the or. And neither of them is, is a, it would, it, wouldn't be, it would be an easy choice if one of them was desirable, right? Maybe you're one of those ones that you've occupied your time just counseling God. <laughs> God, if you would just do this, if, if you would just do that, then I could do this or I could do that. I want to encourage you this morning just to trust God to be God. He's really very good at it. I want to encourage you this morning to repent of your pride or your finagling and trying to do things in your own strength. You're just going to wear yourself out. But just trust him to be God and place your confidence in him. Allow him just to be Lord. We can all hear this message and glean from it. Even the most mature believer, Lord, I just trust you. I trust you. I lay it before you. He doesn't just want to what you think is your pretty offering that you can bring before the Lord. There's something I've learned in the last couple years. God's not just interested in your pretty offering. He's also interested in your shattered. He's also interested in, in the thing that I don't understand, God. But I trust you. And he's so good that he can take your either or and he can say, now watch this. You didn't know I could part the Red Sea. Now watch this. I'm going to do a new thing in your life. I just want to encourage you this morning, church, as you think on this message, if anything spoke to you, if you're wrestling with anything, just to surrender it to God, to lean in and trust him for something amazing. And as he builds your testimony, others will look and see that and the testimony would be, only God. Only God could do that. And you'll be a vessel that will draw others to Jesus. What an incredible legacy. That's what I want to be known for. Walking into heaven, and they go, hey, well done. Because of you, and because you chose to trust this, 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 this nation, this generation, this family, they came to know the Lord. Amen? That's good. There may be someone here today and you've been on that threshold of repentance. You've been holding the stone. You've sensed the calling of God and the drawing of his spirit. But you've yet to make Jesus Lord and Savior of your heart and life. And today is your day. So God is calling you to higher things than him. Quit resisting. I'm just going to say quit resisting. He's just start accepting exactly what he's created you for. I want to invite you to give it all to him and just ask that you would pray this prayer of salvation with me. Just ask the Lord to be Lord of your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I come in the name of Jesus 
I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin. It came back to life with resurrection power. I repent of my sin. I choose to follow you from this moment forward. Come into my heart. Be Lord of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And give me strength to live for you. In Jesus' name.